All right, everybody, grab your Bibles, if you would, please. Let's open them up to Matthew chapter 28. As Matthew wraps up his account over the the life of Jesus, he reminds us that there has been a command that Jesus has given to the church. This command we often refer to as the Great Commission. Now, when we speak of the Great Commission, we must always, most often always, will we'll turn to the text in Matthew chapter 28. But before I begin to break down this passage of Scripture, I just want to take a moment uh, to share with you how the Great Commission is contained actually in all four of the Gospels. All four of them render it in, in one way or another. And so on the screen behind me, you'll see it on Mark chapter 16, Mark writes, and he says in verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Then Luke in his writing in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47 It says, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now you've got to remember, these are all post-resurrection accounts of Jesus. And, and John records in John chapter 20, verse number 21, that Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Sending you to do what? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so, Matthew chapter 28, let's look at how Matthew records this. Beginning in verse number 16, he says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, before issuing his commission, Jesus lays the foundation for the success for the future ministry of the disciples and the church. He starts off and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is critically important. See, without the Messiah's authority, then the mission of the disciples and the mission of the church today would be doomed to fail. Now the reader and the the hearers of Matthew's Gospel would have known very well by now the exact nature and power of the authority of Jesus. It is because of His authority that Jesus has the right to give His followers marching orders. He has that right. But He also has the ability to help us carry these orders out. And so Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. 
And verse 19 says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. I want you to understand that the central command to the Great Commission is the command to make disciples. That's the command that our Lord gives to us. So at, at the heart of, of the very issue for the command that, or the commission that Jesus has assigned to us, at, at the very heart of the mission is the reproduction in others of what God has produced in us. Peace, faith, obedience, growth, compassion, love. Speaking a, a bold and, and truthful message as His witnesses. I would argue that the only command that is given to us in the Great Commission is the command to make disciples. The, the word go is not a command. In fact, according to, to the Greek uh, language, the go that's used in this verse is actually a present participle. It's not a command. More accurately, it could be translated as going or as you are going. What Jesus is saying is that wherever you are, while you're going, where you're at, make disciples. The emphasis is on, is on the making disciples. It's not on the go. So there's an understanding from our Lord that wherever we're going, or wherever we're at, we have an expectation from Him and issued by Him that we should be active in making disciples. So no matter where we're at, no matter where we're going, we're to be a witness for Jesus Christ and we're to be seeking others to lead them into a relationship with our Lord. He says to make disciples. So that term disciple was a popular name among the early believers. Don't you understand that being a disciple means so much more than being a convert or even being a church member. Today, a, a, a like comparison in words that we might use uh, to maybe better understand what Jesus is calling us to do would perhaps be the term apprentice. He's saying make, make disciples or, or, or you know, serve a, a, as an apprentice. A, a disciple is someone who attached themselves to a leader. A disciple is someone who identified with that leader. The disciple lived with the leader. The disciple learned from the leader. And the way that a disciple learned is not just by listening, but they also learned by doing. So this is what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who has believed in Jesus Christ and has expressed that belief through baptism and remains in the fellowship of other believers so that they might be taught the truth from God's Word. That's only part of it. But there's more. Not only that, a disciple is then able and willing and desires to go out and to lead others into a relationship with Jesus and to instruct others the truths of God's Word. That's what a picture of disciple is. That's what God calls us to be. 
a believer in Jesus, obedient, baptized in his name, say plugged into the church, getting instruction, getting teaching, getting equipping so that we can turn around and produce in others what God is producing in us. So if that's the term of what it means to be a disciple, let me ask you this morning, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple who is currently making disciples? I would argue that in many respects that we have departed from this pattern and this expectation that our Lord has given to us. Most churches, especially in the Western church, we fall into this mentality and this mindset that we pay the pastor to preach the truth, to win the loss, and to build up or to equip believers. But we as the congregation function as either a cheerleader if we're engaged and enthusiastic or we serve as spectators in the church. In many places, perhaps even here, converts are one to the Lord. They're baptized in His name, perhaps even given the right hand of fellowship and welcomed in only to end up sitting among the spectators. That is not the pattern that our Lord desires from us. That is not what He's called us to be, nor what He's equipped us to do. Think about how much faster our churches would grow. Think about how much stronger and healthier our churches would be if each believer was currently making disciples if each and every believer was actively engaged in that disciple making process and make no mistake disciple making is the responsibility of every child of god It is not just something that's reserved to a few special chosen individuals. This is the command that our Lord has for all of us that believe in Him. To make disciples. Now, go back. Verse 19. Go therefore, the command, make disciples of all nations. And then this is the how to. Well, how do we make disciples of all nations? What we do by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So because baptism was so closely associated with a decision of faith, I personally believe that it may be best to see baptism as Jesus' way of summarizing the evangelistic portion of the disciple-making process. It's the way to capture it in a nice, condensed summary. See, baptism is not a step to salvation. Rather, baptism is the initial step of obedience once a person believes in Jesus. Baptism represents the identification of people with their new way of life, with their new uh, expression of faith. 
why baptism should be experienced as soon as possible after a person, after a person, after a person. Can I say it one more time? After a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So a good summary of the evangelistic effort or the task for the church would be that our mission is to bring people to the point where they can begin to see themselves differently because they have become different through the transforming work of God's grace. Jesus says, how do we make disciples? First of all, by baptizing them. First of all, by, by leading them to a decision of faith. I would say in language today, uh, last week we talked about Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? Spend a little bit of time helping us to understand that, first of all, He's never going to be your Savior unless He's first and foremost your Lord. And then showing you through the Scriptures how uh, for every reference of Jesus as Savior in the New Testament, there's at least 25 references of Him being Lord found in the New Testament. In all of Scripture, the, the comparison is one time for every, for every mention of Savior. There's 185 mentions of Lordship. I put a heavy emphasis on Jesus being Lord. And so the, way I, the language I would use today is that the mission of the church is to present and to pursue. We present Jesus Christ as Savior. We present the message of hope the gospel of truth to a lost and saving or lost and dying world in hopes that they'll put their faith and trust in Jesus. So we're to present him as Savior. And then in addition to that, we pursue him as Lord. So we present and pursue. Present as Savior, pursue as Lord. Jesus says to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of, the, of Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And then we're going to teach them. Teaching represents the other part of the disciple-making process. Teaching is the edification of those who are already believers. I want you to understand that Jesus instructs us not only to teach content. No, He also tells us that we are to train people into obedient action. Look at, look at his instruction. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that's to put into to practice, to live out. It's not just teach them to know I have a knowledge of all this stuff. It's teach them to observe, to know and to rightfully apply that knowledge based upon the instructions of our Lord. So by fulfilling the teaching portion of the Great Commission, then we lead believers who are at every level of spiritual maturity, and through teaching them, we help them get to that next level of spiritual growth. Let me let you in on a little bit of a secret. You're never going to reach spiritual perfection this side of heaven. Which means as long as we live, there is room, there is potential for spiritual growth to occur in our lives. We never get to the point where we can say, all right, I'm good. I've reached the point where I can now just coast and ride it out. Oh, while we live, we still have work that needs to be done in us and also work that must be done through us. You you never reach the point where you can just say, all right, God, I served you. I've done my thing. 
now I'm going to retire from, from ministry and, and enjoy the last few years of, of my life just in recreation. Now, you might do that for work, but you don't do that in Christian service. There's no release. God is giving you a special gift. He's giving, He's equipped you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And He has a mission that's been assigned to you, to all of us. And we're expected to live our lives in faithful obedience to the mission that God has put before us. And the one thing that we all share in common is God's command for us to go and to make disciples of all nations. And that's what we must do. It's not enough just to sit and let somebody else do all the work and blame church growth or or church decline on one person or a collection of people. It's not enough for us to be upset and angry and irritated and frustrated over the, the spiritual or the lack of spiritual depth in our community. Oh, it's up to all of us to be engaged. It's up to all of us to be willing to share the message of hope. We are surrounded with brokenness. We are surrounded with pain and hopelessness. And yet, for those of us that believe, then we've received that life-transforming message. We now have hope. We, we now have peace. And our responsibility is to take the hope and the peace that we have and to share it with any and everyone that's possible. Every believer should be progressing towards the perfect character of Jesus Christ. But we know that's a, that's a progression. It's not something that we obtain instantaneously. I want to show you a scripture. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4. It'll be on the screen behind me. Just follow along as I read this. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. So these are gifts that have been given to the church by God. And then in verse number 12 it says, To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the gift that God gave the church are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Their function is to equip the saints. Who are the saints? Saints are the believers. So if you're a believer, that according to God's Word, you're a saint. We don't live like saints most of the time. But that's how we're identified as. Okay, so we're identified as saints. So we're to be equipped for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Like you catch that? We're to be growing in Christ-like maturity so that we're not blown about and tossed to and fro by the corruptive and false doctrine that is so prevalent in our world today. There's so much that is being preached and proclaimed from pulpits that have no 
they have no right to even be spoken in church because it's just so empty and it's so false and it's so damaging. We're to be growing and intensifying our focus on Christ-like maturity and that development in our lives. Okay, it goes back. Rather, we should be speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into Him who was the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each body is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You catch that last part? When each part is working properly, the effectiveness of the church, the effectiveness of this church in, in reaching this community with the gospel it is going to hinge on that when each part is working properly, then it makes the, the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Old church, this community needs us to be actively engaged in what Jesus has called us to do. So many times we let fear control us. We're so worried about offending somebody with the gospel that because we're so worried about offending them or, or, or taking verbal abuse or losing a friend, because we're so worried about all of that, we end up keeping our mouth shut and say nothing instead. But do you believe in the truth of God's Word? Do you believe that there is only one way that we can ever stand before a holy and righteous Father? Do you believe that that only way is found in faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that apart from Christ, we have nothing? We have no hope of heaven. He is the only way. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you don't make a, a decision of faith in Jesus, then your eternity is a Christless eternity? Void of anything that's holy, anything that's good. I mean, that enough should, should ter- terrify us. Do you believe it? And then if you believe it, then are you compelled to share it with other people? And if you're not, then it becomes, why not? Why is it that we're not actively engaged in sharing the truth of God's Word with everybody that we possibly can? The Great Commission is an assignment that God has given to all of us. Not just the pastor. Not just certain leaders. Not just a certain few people that have the, the, the spiritual gift of evangelism. It is an assignment that God gives to all of us. Who are you discipling? Can you think? Who's the last person that you discipled, that you took under your wing, that you poured your heart and your life into, that you took the time to show them God's Word so that you can train them and build them up and and equip them so that they could turn around and, and reproduce in others what God is producing in them. Can you even think of a time when, when you've been doing that in your life? So, so we're all called to be a part of the disciple-making process. 
And the overwhelming majority of us will do that on a very personal and private level. Some of us are called to enter into an arena that has a whole bunch of people and we have to do it for the masses. But that's not a calling that God puts on every one of us. It's a calling that He puts on a few. It's a calling that He put on my life. And I've tried to do other things. But there's nothing that satisfies me more, gives me more joy, and brings about peace than serving in the church. I love it. But make no mistake, it's a lot easier to serve in the business world than it does than it is to serve in the church. In case you didn't know it, church people have a tendency to be really opinionated. A bit mean at times. Self-focused. Because they want things done their way based upon their personal preference and their personal style. So if you don't sing the right music, then they get mad. If you don't wear the right clothes, they get mad. If you don't stand at the right time, they can get mad. Oh, you can rest assured that every single Sunday, somebody's going to be mad. (laughs) It's hard. But we all have the call and the expectation to be engaged in the disciple-making process. And I'm thankful that, of God's call that he put on my life. And I'm also thankful that this church has an understanding on how important it is to get the, the message of Jesus Christ to this community. I love the fact that, that we host a Hispanic church here on our property every single week. They're, they're reaching people that I'm never going to be able to reach. And that's a beautiful thing. Not only that, we are less than a week away from this church hosting a brand new church in our community. If you haven't heard about it, if you don't know about it, the name of that church is called Recovery Church. What I'd like to do is I'd like to bring George up here real quick. George, come on up here. I ask George to take a few moments just to be able to share from his heart. No restrictions, no limitations. Just whatever God placed upon his heart. George is going to be, well, he is the lead teacher, the primary shepherd for uh, Recovery Church. And so, George, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, Pastor. You bet. Hello, church. Y'all supposed to say hello? Come on. (laughs) Man, I'm going to help you out. I want to just speak from my heart today. I want to read a few scriptures, talk a little bit about Recovery Church, what the church means, what we're trying to do in the community and how we want to serve the community. One of the facts I think that is overwhelming to people is overdose is the number one cause of death in this country for people under 50 years old. That's a frightening statistic. Um, The overdoses have killed more people than the Vietnam War. So there is definitely a need to help reach out in the community to people who struggle with drug addiction, who struggle with alcoholism. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, it describes addiction way better than I could ever describe it. So I want to read that to you. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine. 
who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. It, and in the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights. Your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? That's how people live their lives. That's how I live my life. My life has changed. I have Jesus in my life now. I don't need that. Our mission in the Recovery Church, Kingsland, provide and develop a spiritual community for people in search of healing, growth, and recovery from addiction and broken families. I'm sure everybody in the church today knows someone who's been touched by drugs or alcohol. And everybody is welcome. Our first service will be this Thursday at 7 o'clock. Even if you even if you're not affected by it, but you know somebody that's affected by it and you want to learn more about what's going on and what happens with addiction, you're more than welcome to come over there. The community needs this. We want to give people who are afraid to come to church a safe place. We don't want to replace the Sunday service. We want to be a bridge to bring people back to God, ultimately to Jesus, and then back into the mainstream church. That's our, that's our goal. Bring people to Christ. Christ changed my life. He really did. I want to read you one more piece of scripture, actually two more pieces, from Romans 5. Peace and hope. Therefore, since we are justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith. In the grace in which we now stand, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so... We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, character, hope. And hope does put, not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What a gift. What a gift to have the Holy Spirit in your heart and get up in the morning and do the right thing. Live the right way. Pray. Pastor David, you know, talking about making disciples. That's my mission. That's our mission at the Recovery Church, to go out and make disciples. And I'm going to read you one more piece of scripture from 2 Corinthians, which it overwhelms me when I read it. So if I'm teary-eyed, I don't apologize for my tears because they're, they're tears of hope and they're tears, of, tears for Jesus, you know, because Jesus is what made my life. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What a gift. You could be a horrible sinner. You could have led a horrible life. But these are the people that can come back to God, come back to Christ, find hope, and live a good life again. Restore that family. Restore that hope. Bring people back. So that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and now not counting people's sins against them. 
And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you so much for the support we've received from the church. We're really excited. We start um, Thursday night at 7 o'clock, and everybody is welcome, and thank you for listening. God bless everybody. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Good work. I cannot wait for, for Thursday night to get here. Uh, the first service of what I believe is going to be something that has a profound impact on our community. And what I want to challenge you with this morning is uh, we all have access to God's Word very easily available to us. Uh, when we were going through the planning process, uh, one of the people on the, the leadership team uh, gave me a copy of the Life Recovery Bible. And um, as I began to really look through it and see the resources that it has inside of it, I was greatly impressed by how well this has been developed. And it just seems so appropriate that the Recovery Church could have in its facility copies of the Life Recovery Bible. It seems like it goes together. And so what, I, what I'd like to challenge you with is to give prayerful consideration to helping us purchase copies of this particular Bible to be made available for that church. If you want to, the, a copy of this is right at $15 a copy for, for one Bible. And so I just think it would be a great thing to bless them with as many copies of this Bible that, that we can give to them. One of the beauty uh, of having... A, a particular Bible that they're referring to is that it will actually help people to open up a Bible and engage with, with the teaching for that night. If you get people, especially unchurched individuals, in, into a space, and then you ask them to take a Bible and turn with you uh, to Nehemiah chapter 6, well, the overwhelming majority of them aren't going to really know where to find Nehemiah. Probably half of you would be the same way this morning. You're like, just do the quick scan until you see it. Oh, there it is, right? But, but what, what, how great it would be if we say, hey, so tonight I want to give you a, a little talk from Nehemiah chapter 6. All you have to do is take your Bible and turn to page 608. Then we've eliminated the fear and that tension of not being able to find it in God's Word. And then hopefully they'll take the Bibles home with them. And so that we'll continue to need to help replenish them with, with fresh stocks of this, this Bible. Because God's Word in, in, into our hands, when it's read, when it's applied rightly, has a profound impact not just on us, but on the church and the community. So I want to challenge you this morning to help give a, a love offering uh, to, to these Bibles. If you want to give one today, just mark your contribution, Bibles, and we'll make sure it goes to uh, the purchase of additional Bibles like this. Let me share with you a couple of statistics that I hope will find challenging. LifeWay did a study several years ago, and through that study they learned some important things. For instance, they discovered and they, uh, that 67% of Americans say that a, a personal invitation 
from a family member would be very effective or somewhat effective in getting them to visit a church. 67%. In fact, 63% of Americans said that a personal invitation from a neighbor or a friend would be very successful or somewhat successful in getting them to actually visit a church. They also learned that 63% of Americans said that they are open and willing and interested in receiving information about a church if that information is given to them by a family member. That percentage goes to 56% said that they're interested in learning about a church if that information is given to them by a friend or a neighbor. So what we've discovered is that people are open to receive information about a church or an invitation to attend church, particularly if it's from somebody that they know. Now we understand that the invitation is only the beginning, right? It's not just enough to invite somebody. Our neighbors, our, our friends, and our family members may come to church, a church service, whether it's a Sunday morning service or a Thursday night service. They might come because of an invitation, but they'll stay for the community. I think it's interesting that in our world, people are more connected to one another than any previous generation, and yet we appear more lonely and isolated than ever there's a time where we talked about friends or, or best friends. I'm always interested when, when somebody said, this is my best friend, and they introduced like six, seven, eight, ten people as their best friend. I'm like, do you understand what the word best means? It means better than everybody else. But anyway, we, we go from friends or best friend, now we have this thing like Facebook friends. Like, what does that mean? How, how do you... Determine that level of friendship. What does that friendship even look like? Let me say this, that virtual relationships are not complete. We cannot mistake information for intimacy. We cannot mistake communication for community. Or to put it another way, fellowship is not truly experienced apart from actual relationships in physical time and physical space so the question becomes how can people be added to a local church unless they experience the fellowship and community of that church and then how can they ever experience the fellowship and community that a church has to offer unless they're actually invited to attend church if many of our unchurched neighbors friends and family members are actually open to an invitation to attend church or receive information about church, then what are we waiting for? Why isn't that we're not engaged in in sharing the invitation and sharing the the, the news of of what the church has to offer, how the church can, can help other people in their lives? Maybe you heard the name of uh, Dr. Uh, Tom Rainier. He did a study, and he discovered that 82% of the unchurched in America are at least somewhat likely to attend a church service if they just received a personal invitation. 
82%. He also discovered that only 2%, 2% of church members actually intentionally invite unchurched people to church. Only 2%. 98% of church attenders haven't invited anybody to church over the past year. What does that say about what we believe? Do we believe in the life-changing power of Jesus Christ? And if so, why aren't we anxious to share that belief with other people? This past week, it had been years since I heard this before, but I was reminded through something I watched this past week. I want you to listen to the powerful insights that are given to us from a mouth of an atheist. Penn Jillette. Probably know him from Penn and Teller. Penn Jillette is, uh, is an atheist. Make no mistake of it. Admits it and all. This is what he said. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that a truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Do you believe in the life-changing message of Jesus Christ? And if you do, then why are you not compelled to share that message with any and everyone that you come across with? I think it's just fear. We feel like we don't have the right words to say. We feel like we don't have the right answers to all of their questions. And so we project that fear of what might happen and we restrict ourselves on what we should be doing. And what we should be doing is finding a way with everybody that we meet and all the people that we interact with, find a way to introduce the gospel into their lives. To to tell them the hope of Jesus. And why isn't there an amen? Do you care? They're dying. Going to hell. We sit here in the nice air-conditioned building and we'll criticize every aspect of a service and we think that we're spiritually elite. What is wrong with us? Oh, may Christ get a hold of us and wake us up to what really matters. It's all about Jesus. To glorify Him and to make His glory known. That's what we're to do. I hope we'll wake up. Oh, I hope we'll care. I hope we'll stop being part of the 98% that never tried to engage and invite someone to to come and experience the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Some of us just feel ill-equipped and unprepared to, 
to enter or to begin that conversation. So I want to give you a resource today to help you. What we have in, in front of you at these tables down here are cards. Each card is in a bundle of five. The front side of the card is just a little bit of information about our church, our address, phone number, service time, an email address. On the back side of the card is a website that's called truelife.org. And so, this is the webpage. Truelife.org is um, resources, a ton of resources, that are actually videos that answer some of life's difficult questions. Go ahead the, the next one. I know you can't see all of this. It's just a little bit of feel for that page when you, when you go to that website. What I'm trying to say is you don't have to know all the answers to all the questions. You just have to be able to point people in the right direction or know for yourself how to find the answer to that question. So if you'll spend some time on this website, then you'll be a little bit more confident when somebody asks you the question, well, what's the difference between what you believe and what Jehovah Witnesses believe? Well, you have a resource that you can point somebody to. What we have here are cards that are in bundles of five. Make no mistake, each one of these bundles represents five people who could have been here today to hear the message of Jesus Christ. There's about 2,250 potential individuals that are represented on these cards, on these tables today. What I'm asking you to do is to use this as a resource to be able to open a conversation about Jesus. This isn't just handing somebody a card or leaving cards behind for other people to find. It's about us going to our neighbor and saying, you know what, I don't think I've actually ever invited you to come to church with us. Here, here's, here, here's, here's an invitation. We'd love for you to come, service on the front, I'd love for you to be my guest. I'll sit with you. In fact, on the back side of the card, it's a great resource. If you ever have questions about God, questions about faith, questions about this life, take time to go to that website, and you can find the answers to those questions. It's us trying to hand something to somebody that'll give them direction, that'll point them to a resource that they could spend time reading through all the questions, watching through all the videos, And then it's also a reminder of when we meet so that maybe they'll come and be a guest. What I'm personally challenging every single one of us, myself included, is to take one stack of cards today, a bundle of five, to pray over the bundle and ask God to make known to you this week the five individuals that you can extend a personal invitation, again, That invite is an opportunity for us to speak the message of hope into someone's life. Why should I go to church? Well, let me tell you why. This is what God has done for me in my life. And I want you to be able to experience that same peace that I have. It's just the opportunity to engage in a conversation. So in our time of invitation, cards are in the front. I was going to leave them in the seat, but I don't want to force it upon you. I just want to make it available to the front. If you'd come and be willing to take one stack and pray over five, maybe you'll take three stacks. I don't really care. I just want you to have an opportunity. I want you to be challenged. Next week, we're going to see how this all plays out.
I love you, church. I love you too much just to get too comfortable to sit around and be a spectator in this church. We've got a mission to accomplish. And it's not our agenda. It's not our mission. It's a mission that's been assigned to us by our Lord. And we will engage in that mission with all that we have. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to sense the urgency. Help us to, to have the compassion. Help us to love. Help us to love people so much that we're willing to risk ridicule. We're willing to risk rejection. Or we're willing to risk it all in order for the gospel to be present and spoken in someone's life. In this time of invitation, there are decisions that need to be made. I recognize that. Some people need to be obedient and, and, and talk about scheduling a time for baptism. Some need to confess and repent from sin. And may you challenge us all with five individuals this week that we can invite to come and be a part, to hear the message of your love and your grace proclaimed, to get connected with a community. Oh, may your will be done. Christ in my prayer, amen. If you'd like to, you may stand as we sing.